everyone and welcome to a new episode of Realtor Talk with me, Lloyd Rosales-Cox. Today I have the CEO of LuxuryProperty.com on the podcast, Jason Hayes. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Well, thank you very much for your invitation. It was a uh, long commute from me. <laughs> <laughs> I came all the way into the office myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself to, to everyone watching and listening and explain who you are and what you do. Hi guys, I'm the founder and CEO of LuxuryProperty.com. I am perhaps the funniest chap on the planet, never to have his own stand-up show, and every now and again I do a little bit of real estate. <laughs> I like that introduction. That's the best one we've on the podcast. Uh, so, so, talking about real estate, obviously that's the industry we're in, and the topic I talk about most on this podcast. What, what got you into the industry in the first place? Oh gosh, uh, really, well, really good question. Um, uh, money. I guess crazy the answer. And um, when I went up to university, should I look at that? Yeah, you can look at you. <laughs> when I went up to university, I um, I didn't have any money, um, and I I started um, thinking about how to to make to make money. Yeah. Um, and then eventually um, started renting out rooms in uh, in in the student house where we were living, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then ultimately. Um, ended up buying a student house uh, through uh, Myris Mortgages. I think quite know if you remember what a Myris Mortgage is, probably way too young. So basically, yeah, started buying properties using these mortgages, really cheap properties. Mm-hmm. So I'd use my student loan as a deposit, okay. or, or part of it, and then borrow money from friends, and then uh, that was a deposit. Then I took a Myris Mortgage and sort of uh, um, the income from the student. Uh, would pay for the mortgage and then I'd have surplus, uh, surplus, surplus money. So for me it was um, always about the Duke of Westminster. He was always the number one chap on the Sunday Times Richest. He was always the one who was uh, the wealthiest chap in the United Kingdom at the time. And um, his money was made, made in property and, and for me it was a means to an end. So, so the surplus revenue paid for my university Tuition and and um, and it, yeah, that, you know the the need to make money and then, and then I was like, okay, well if I rent these rooms out, I mm-hmm. could I could produce something. Yeah, I think like a few people do that, or they have you know parents whoever who yeah. who purchase property and then rent out the rooms to pay for their property. But did you have that kind of business mindset from from that age? Because a lot of people going to university. We so, don't be even considering that, they just so have my, a good time. My, I'm a serial entrepreneur, apparently. Yeah. Um, it's a dreadful phrase, I don't like it. Um, I, I, it sort of, for me, it sort of suggests somebody that can't stick it at one thing. But, but um, my first business was, uh, was with my sister, and we would buy um, boxes of chocolate, uh, so small packets of chocolate, and we would go door to door selling the chocolate yeah. on the boxes. And we were we can only have been, I don't know, she was two years older than me, so probably maybe ten or twelve and she would be she would no I mean ten, she would be twelve. And um, I bought the chocolate wholesale and then basically would sell it door to door and make profit. I ended up buying her out of the business. So that was my <laughs> first that was my first sort of merger and acquisition in terms of <laughs> Of, uh, of, of, of buying her out of business, and I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. I'm, um, I'm sort of, 
I'm, I'm very conscious that I'm, I'm very driven and, I, and, and at very early in my career I recognise that that I possibly don't take instruction well okay. and, and genuinely possibly wouldn't fit well into a corporate structure where there was layers and tiers of management. So I, uh, yeah, I, I quickly discovered that I quite like working for myself and I quite like building and creating uh, companies and, and uh, yeah, and that's what I'm good at apparently. Yeah, and, and comedy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that story kind of like really resonated with me actually because even when I was at school I used to Make fairy cakes yeah. and then sell them yeah. <laughs> as well. So no, it's yeah, it's interesting to see people who kind yeah. of do the same kind of thing. Yeah. I think I think it's you know you buy you sell you make a profit. Yeah. It's, it's pretty you know business does not need to be complicated mm -hmm. and and I think sometimes the uh, um, it's the angle sometimes yeah. in terms of you know what 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 is your what is your approach and and, and for me I've got I've done psychometric testing. So throughout my, my university career, I was meant to go to the foreign office. So if I had done what I was meant to do in inverted commas, I'd be, I'd be working in the foreign commonwealth office. Okay. And I didn't, um, and my psychometric testing was, was that of somebody who's, who's possibly very, very driven and who, um, who, who sort of uh, does well in chaos. And, um, and so, so I know that my, my DNA, I know, you know, I'm very sort of attuned to, to, uh, to, to what, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how I wouldn't work well in the corporate environment. So I've technically never had a job. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. No, no, but what I mean by yeah. never had a job is I've technically never worked Work for anyone. Yeah. So in my sort of professional career, as a youngster, of course, I've worked in school holidays and that sort of thing mm -hmm. at university but but post career I technically haven't worked for anybody. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's I think that's a good going, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, um, so one would say that I wasn't unemployed, I was mm -hmm. unemployable. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. that's really interesting as well that you know that you rode that path. And a lot of people find that kind of part scary almost to think, oh I don't have a Secure starts, but I guess you're goal driven, and you're mentioning the the Duke of Westminster there, yeah, and you know the the richness. I I know that you personally managed to get onto that. Yeah, richness. how did that feel to to kind of source reach that goal? Uh, source of huge frustration for me. So I'm a very private person. Um, at the time when it happened, everybody um, was was busy congratulating me, and everybody was, uh, and I think it was you know, three or four years or whatever I was on it for. Um, but I hate it because it was distinctly private and um, when it came out I complained um, because it, I thought it was an invasion of my privacy um, and I, to, to be quite honest with you I think um, I think it's just one of those things where um, I let our success speak for itself so I don't need to, to tell the world that we're, we're the best digital destination in, 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 the, in the Middle mm -hmm. East. Um, because I, I know that our success is, is doing that for us. So, so when that happened, it was really interesting. Everyone changed. So I went from being Jason or Jace uh, to, ah, oh, he's the guy, he's the guy who's got all the money, but he's the this, that, and the other. I didn't particularly like that. So my sort of, my cloak of invisibility was uh, was removed to this. Okay. I found it affected the business really badly. 
Sarah, at the time I was acquiring real estate, buying portfolios, and my negotiating power went. So yes, they knew that you had yeah, buy so, so, yeah, so basically the, the, the ability to uh, to hide behind the corporate veil and the ability to sort of to do uh, to do what I did well uh, was a little bit removed. To be fair. But I just it was just a came as a big shock. Nobody ever calls you and say, "Hey, we're doing this." So it came as a big shock, and mm-hmm. a number of my professional advisors were like, oh, "Wow, well done, that's great." And I probably was you know, I was once sat there going, oh, "This is a disaster. I don't, I you know work so hard to keep everything private." Mm-hmm. And, and slowly build a very successful company, and now they felt that it was very much in the public domain. And you've got to remember as well that back in two thousand and six, we weren't quite as um, as digital savvy as we are yes. now. So Twitter hadn't been invented. I think maybe Facebook was just starting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Instagram obviously was. Yeah. You know, so just a different time, and um, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Interesting to come, yeah, because you're yeah. still in the newspaper then, rather yeah. than, you know, whatever, yeah. Yeah. whatever the Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. And then, of course, everyone thought, um, it was just, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, most people would be like, oh, wow, whereas I was like, oh, gosh, that's, it just felt like an invasion of my, mm-hmm. of my, my privacy. Did it, did it affect any kind of friendships at all in that no. way? No? You still had no, a close, yeah, yeah. people, okay. Look, my best friends are the, yeah. Other guys I played rugby with at university mm. were still we're just that much older now and yeah. slower and fatter and greyer and <laughs> um, you know you all sort of you count your best friends on 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 one hand and you know yeah no, that 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 necessarily changes. Okay, that's a, that's a good thing then because sometimes yeah. people say oh, it changes the yeah. relationship that you have with people, but it's good you yeah yeah. That. yeah. No. That's good. Yeah, and in terms of you're talking about obviously the digital destination battery um, why, why did you decide to set up this business in particular? Um, PropertyandHomes.com mm-hmm. is, a, is a company that I own in the United States and that started off as, as the concept of uh, I wanted the digital destination for the sale um, of, of homes, like a property portal, a digital property portal. Mm-hmm. Clubeasy.com back in 1995, I'm showing my age here, back in 1995 was probably the first digital entity into the student accommodation space. And it was hugely successful with undergraduates looking for accommodation online, applying online, etc. Back in sort of, you know, in the late 90s. Uh, when were you born? I was in 88. Okay, yeah. okay so we're, we're okay, we're on the same page, we're on the same page. So basically that, um, for me back then, I've always been driven by digital. Um, with uh, with propertyandhomes.com, the concept quite simply was of a, of a digital portal for the sale of distressed housing stock, actually. Um, so in 2008, the United States collapsed, and um, the whole idea was a portal for distressed ha- for the sale of distressed housing stock. Uh, that business model quickly changed, and I ended up buying the distressed housing stock. So Property and Homes went from being a, a digital uh, sort of concept to actually an investment company buying distressed real estate in the United States. Um, so there was still a sort of for me, there was still that sense of I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve in the digital sense. Okay. I felt that real estate um, is very much the marketing of real estate yeah, could be incredibly profitable if done properly, and that there are huge gaps um, in in the in the marketing. So, by example, most of the large 
brands that you and I might know and, and, and your, uh, your, your audience will know um, don't have geographical position on a global scale. They might be very, very strong in certain areas of the world or certain regions or territories, however you wish to describe it, but they won't have a global presence everywhere. Yeah. And there exists at this point in time no one brand, global property brand, that actually exists everywhere in the digital sphere. Okay. So Knight Frank, by example, very, very strong in the United Kingdom, uh, very, very strong in parts of Africa, and indeed they have a presence here in the Middle East. In the United States, maybe not as strong as they want to be, and certainly in the African uh, subcontinent, the Indian subcontinent, Asia Pacific, they, they won't have that sort of positioning. And if you mention Knight Frank to people, they won't know what it means. Now, as an Englishman, I know what Knight Frank means, but it doesn't have that global uh, positioning, um, and the same can be said for any one of the big of the big property brands. But also the same can be said for any one of the big property portals. Yes. So, by example, uh, Rightmove, who are enormous in the United Kingdom, absolutely enormous, millions and millions of hits every month, are not known in, in Africa. They are not known in Asia Pacific. They are not known in in, uh, in, in the, on the Indian subcontinent. They are not known in the United States, South America, etc. Yeah. Um, but they're incredibly successful, they're incredibly big um, in their sphere of, of influence. Yes. And what, what, I, what I wanted to do, and what I'm working on, what we're trying to do with LuxuryBoxy.com is to create a true digital destination for the sale of luxury homes. Now, you're in one side of the business, so you're in the, in the sort of the Dubai private client team on the, on the very group side, um, but the core, the core business is actually the digital space, where we want to market the world's finest homes, where, where eventually we want to be a, uh, a global brand recognised as, as a destination that you would go to digitally for the world's finest homes, quite simply. And by naming the company LuxuryBotty.com, by using a keyword-rich domain name as, as the company name, that's what we're trying, that's what we're trying to do. Now, in terms of why, you might people have said, "Well, why? You know, you're independently wealthy, you're successful. You've you've built two companies and successfully exited two companies. Why would you? Why would you do it again?" Well, that's the curse of the serial entrepreneur. That's the um, that's the thing that gets you up in the morning and gets you going. When I sold my first company. I spent. I bought a beautiful house in Barbados, and I spent six months, probably. Less. My wife will correct me on this. Um, scuba diving in the morning and playing golf in the afternoon. Playing golf in the morning and scuba diving in the afternoon. I was swapping around a few times. Yeah. After about six months, I was absolutely bored to tears. Bored to tears. The challenges, the the day to day decision making. In, in in my life at the moment, I probably make a thousand decisions a day. A thousand decisions. I love it. I love that. You know. We need an answer on this, or we need to do something on this, or you know, there's strategy that comes with uh, owning the company and being being uh, being at the forefront of things. Absolutely love. Um, for me, it's it's a it might sound really weird, but it's a high, you know. And it gets to seven o'clock at night, and I'm still at the office, um, having been here at six o'clock this morning. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's something that just drives you. Yeah. And when I when I set up the company, it was like you know, 
just want I want to control that digital space. I want to see if I can be a success in that in that digital space. And and we know we are, you know, only only eighteen months into our journey we've been courted by a very, very large company who are trying to persuade us to, to sell to them. And we're not, I can't mention who they are because I'm on an NDA, but only you know, only eighteen eighteen to two years into the journey we we received that approach because Somebody saw what we were trying to achieve and thought, "Gosh, that that's going to work." Be, you know, it will it will because it's a global thing rather than the, the niche individual market. Well, look, luxury property is an asset class, and um, it's a physical asset class that exists in every city in every country of the world, no matter where you are. We we market homes in, in South America. We market properties in Paris. We market properties in, in India. We market properties in. Vietnam, which like it. it doesn't matter where you are in the world, there will always be luxury property. Always. It might be a penthouse, it could be a beachfront villa, it could be a golf course facing mansion. There will always be luxury property. And if you're going to move to Paris, how do you search for, for, for luxury property? Where do you go? Um, you, you, you're going to go to you're going to go to Google. And then organically, we will be number one. So hopefully, you'll come to us, and then we will lead you through that process. But, but, but at the moment, where do you actually? It's true when you search on like if you don't know the other markets, the first thing you would do is go to yeah. Google and see what portals come up yeah. for that particular country, and then you have no idea how they work, how to find anything. Yeah. So you want to just be in front of someone, uh, an advisor, for example, who can give you that yeah. that uh, advisory. And especially for that particular market. And, and what we're trying to do is provide a platform for people to do that. Yeah. And ultimately, when a new website comes up and a new e-commerce functionality comes on, if you are a real estate agent in Vietnam, by example, and you are selling luxury homes in Vietnam, you will have the opportunity of, of, of uploading your luxury homes to our, to our destination, to our platform, and paying by digitally. So the whole process will be Digital. There'll be no paperwork whatsoever. The entire mm -hmm. process will be will be will be digital, and and marketing of, of, of and advertising of those homes in that in that country of origin, and that will be across across the world. And we're scaling it organically, so a little bit like how we did our SEO optimization. We did it organically. At the start of the process, I said we're not going to pay per click, and it's really painful because everyone wants you to pay per click. So that you can expand quicker, but but that's a foundation stone built on sand in many respects. Whereas we said, no, we're going to invest the money into organic, unique content, into optimized SEO, and we're going to make sure that the construction, the wireframes, and what we're doing work in terms of, of the optimizations. And a little bit like our organic listings of new real estate, um, we went from zero to six billion dollars worth of real estate listings across twenty-five countries. Um, and they're hoping that we take that from zero to 222 countries um, within within the next three years, and that the the value of real estate obviously will you know will, will be will be in the well in the hundreds of billions or the already already trillions. So, so you mentioned that the 222 countries. Why why did you decide to start here in Dubai? I'm allergic to tax. Okay. <laughs> so um, we wanted to find a jurisdiction that was uh, very uh, tax advantageous, uh, that supported in, in, in 
entrepreneurs, uh, that is a hub for, for startups, um, and that would provide us with the lifestyle that we wanted to, that we wanted to live. So we looked uh, long and hard at various, various options, but uh, put Dubai was the one that came, that, came, that came up. At the same time, I wanted the business to be self-funding. So by having the brokerage company, the brokerage company is profitable, as you're aware, it's very profitable, and that uh, goes towards funding the, uh, the tech side of what, uh, the prop tech side of what we're, of what we're doing. So yeah, many, many answers, but, but, but in, a, in a snapshot, pretty, pretty Pretty much there. I love Dubai. Yeah. First came here in 2000 and I think it's 2003. Um, I just fell in love with the city. Fell in love with the um, with the aspirational aspect of it. So basically, nothing is unachievable in Dubai. And with the people that who we do business with, and with the um, the government entities who we are involved with, and indeed with the, with the leadership here in this incredible city, in this incredible Emirates, and the wider United Arab Emirates, you've got, you've just got, it's like a paradise for, for entrepreneurs in, in, in many respects, because it's got everything that you would, that you would want um, if, you, if you're trying to be on a scale, scale of business. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're trying to open it up even more, aren't yeah. they, at the moment. Uh, you were mentioning about the you know, paying for stuff online, and you know, paying for it easily without having to use bank accounts and stuff. What about, um, what do you think the effect of blockchain technology and these kind of things are on, on this kind of business in real estate? Well, I think it's going, to, it's going to be immense. So I think on the transactional side of real estate, when you, when you get to the point of, you know, somebody actually physically buying a property, mm -hmm. I genuinely see that COVID-19 will be a, a point at which people realise off-plan, particularly off-plan real estate, uh, needs to, to move forward in terms of transactional process and become more blockchain. So by example, I'm really surprised that you can't buy an apartment in Dubai off-plan digitally without having to sign a contract, send a contract, issue a cheque or, or wire a payment. I'm so incredibly surprised that that entire process hasn't been digitalized. Incredibly surprised. Um, conversely, if you if you look at buying Range Rover as an example, I can go on to the Range Rover website. Yeah. I can choose the car, choose the color, choose the engine, choose the interior, choose the dock guard, whatever it might be. I can then see that on a 3D display, uh, visualized on video of what my new car will look like. I can then press enter and get a costing for that new car and then I can then enter my credit card payments and actually make a deposit to reserve to reserve that car. Yeah. Conversely, we should be able to do the same with an apartment. An apartment building in downtown Dubai, we should be able to look at that apartment building. We should be able to see the kitchens in light brown, dark brown, cream or white. We should be able to see the flooring in, in French grey or indeed oak. We should be able to see what the apartment might look like from another view. We should be able to see what it looks like with furniture or, or with curtains. All of this is possible. All of this is absolutely possible. We should be able to book that apartment online. So we should be able to say, I'm going to take apartment number 03, 
press click, press enter, and that should throw up for us the contract by which we're entering into. And we should be able to put in our credit card or, or indeed whatever payment system we wish to use to reserve the or place a deposit on the reservation for that, for that apartment. And people look at me as if I'm mad and say, there's a huge difference between buying an apartment and buying a Range Rover. And the answer I'm going to give them is there's not. There's absolutely not. You know, but for, for, for one, it's a luxury item. The Range Rover is a luxury item. And okay, the price point may differ. But with the apartments, when you're buying off plan particularly, you're buying on an investment, which is a lot different to a personal end user. For, for an investor, that investor could be in Singapore, that investor could be in Hong Kong, could be in Cape Town, or indeed could be in Buenos Aires. He could be anywhere in the world, but he wants to come and buy a property in Dubai. He wants to look at Dubai as an investment destination because of the favorable taxation regime, because of the favorable yield returns, because of the favorable potential capital uplift, because it's the most incredible city on the planet, because of all of the infrastructure but they physically can't do it, and they want to. Yes. And, and my clients want to. They want to be able to look at everything on on the screen. They want to be able to see the view from different sides. They want to be able to understand how far it is from that apartment to the metro, from that apartment to the movie theater, what restaurants are in close proximity. All of this can be delivered digitally. All of it can. It, but in Dubai, we've just hit a roadblock, and it's not happening. And the digital space for real estate, and I say this to a lot of people and they get really upset with me when I say it, um, but the digital space for real estate, in many respects, hasn't changed much since I wrote my first website in 1995. I agree, I don't think technology's really moved very very quickly in real estate. If you look at the websites, like you say, from that kind of time, yeah. it, it hasn't really moved. I, I think this COVID period has pushed it forward yeah. a little bit, but I still, it hasn't massive changes yeah. that I thought it might do. Maybe over the next year we might see see more. But I definitely agree people could easily buy online. I think the problem is information. Yeah. So like you said, they want to see the view, they want to see the different options. At the moment all you get is just some prices, this is the payment plan. I think that's the, it. The, the problem rests with the developers. Yeah. So the, the, the developers um, are property developers are very good at building things out of concrete and glass and not necessarily very good at prop tech mm. and what they hold the drawings the plan the unique and privileged access to all of all of the information that one needs and you, it's going to take a visionary it's going to take somebody to come in and go you've got a brand new tower and um, allow us to build the IT technology around digitally marketing that tower properly yeah. so that you can go to you to floor number five and walk into unit number five A four and see the floor plan and see everything. But one has to do that without wearing incredibly large yeah. goggles and, and VR and this, that and the other. It's got to be delivered in such a way where it works. That your your buying plant, your digital plant, is the gentleman or the lady who sat having their toast and marmalade and their cup of coffee and they're at the kitchen table with their laptops, having breakfast, yeah. going through and making real estate investments. And I'm very, very conscious of that. And that's what drives us. And to use it to, for, for, you know, for luxury property.com, what we're constantly trying to do is add value through, through the website 
Now we're in the luxury hemisphere and it's a little bit more difficult and because it's an emotional buy, you can't buy emotionally. I think this is the point, there's a clear differential between what is an investment acquisition, so which is based on yield, it's based on capital return, it's based on void levels, it's based on, on, on renting, and, and a personal acquisition which is based on I love the view or I love the master bathroom or whatever. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I was thinking about this as well the other day. Obviously, that what you're talking about would remove the need for like a physical broker. You're just using the website, so that could be a threat to people's livelihoods, which might be a reason why it's not been pushed forward yeah. in terms of that. But as a business, it would make sense to reduce staff costs, wouldn't it? If you... Yeah. Look, I, look, I get that, and I get, and sometimes. Um, you know, I gave a speech recently at a, at a conference uh, on this very subject, and I, and I think, you know, AI and and digital um, is only going to take you sometimes so far in so far in the process. And on the investment side of things, I, I get I get the point that that client might be doing all of that, having gone through a period of private client advisory. So he may have been talking to an investment advisor and then goes back into the website and does the process automatically. I don't think blockchain and, and the ability to remotely and digitally transact should be at the expense of, 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 of a real estate broker. Yeah. I, think, I think there is, you still need a human being to say to you, hey, you know what, this is a great investment opportunity for you. The valuation uh, principles here are, are great. The value proposition is fantastic. And humans need that, but also it shouldn't take 30 days to complete a purchase or 60 days or 90 days. Complex, cumbersome, difficult, archaic uh, approach to, to, selling, to selling real estate. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, we've just started using DocuSign, haven't we? How many of our clients DocuSign contracts now? You know, we're probably running at I don't know, 90% of our clients mm -hmm. are using DocuSign. It doesn't mean that they're not reading the contract. It doesn't mean that they're not understanding the terms of the contract. But what it does mean is they don't have to print, sign, scan, send. They get an opportunity to, to go through it, understand it, analyze it, come back to us with any questions, and then go click, 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 and it does it automatically. And, and that's the point that I'm making terms of real estate I think I think we genuinely you know in 10 years from now when I'm a full-time golfer and just <laughs> taking things easy uh, we will be buying people will be buying real estate digitally uh, through 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 platforms I'm quite convinced of that quite yeah I think that's that's definitely the future for for the for the industry even yeah. though you said previously it hasn't changed much in the last yeah. few decades I think yeah. it will move forward as people and the younger generations start to be the ones who yeah. are who are investing. Twenty twenty to twenty thirty is going to be key in that in that arena. I'm quite sure. Okay, so yeah, I also wanted to ask you. You know, we're talking about starting up a business, and I usually do this with with all my guests. I ask for kind of the top five based on who they are. So as a serial entrepreneur, what would you give as a kind of top five tips to anyone starting a business? 
Oh wow, gosh, don't <laughs> think about it, think again, think again, really give it some thought and then don't. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, top five tips. Uh, firstly, surround yourself with people that are better than you are. So um, I've used that model across all of my companies. Um, my finance director is significantly better at doing accounts than I am. My IT director is significantly better at doing uh, IT and tech development than I am. My managing director is significantly, you might hear this, I won't say that, but Andrew is significantly better at doing things than I am. Surrounding yourself with excellent people who, and, and having them buy into, into the business, creating that sense of a family where they become stakeholders in, in, in the company is, is absolutely key. Um, I think secondly the ability, so that would be number one, surround yourself with excellent people. How many? What? Five, yeah. Ouch. Um, so you, I, suppose, I suppose the second thing would be um, stay on message in terms of constantly review what you as an individual uh, are doing within the business and, and making sure that the business is going in the direction that you want it, that you want it to go. Um, many, many things happen uh, to, to companies. COVID is a classic example. And um, that ability to pivot while staying on message. So you will see that our brokerage adopted a a strategic decision to uh, to proceed to, towards more affordable luxury mm -hmm. because we saw the world was contracting. Uh, people always need somewhere to live, thankfully, uh, but we saw that there are debt that as an organisation we need we needed to be affordable luxury. Yeah. So it was staying on message and staying on vision, but also having that opportunity to pivot would be would be my second thing. Um, having a moral compass would probably be my third. So not not losing sight of um, of the emotions of being being in, in, you know of employing people, but uh, but also the emotions of, 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 of running of running a company. So having a good moral compass um, in in accordance with the letter of the contract, the position should be X. And sometimes it's not always as black and white as that. And sometimes your your moral compass needs to be on course so that you're you're coming in, you know the, you're 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 being true to yourself and, and to your own sort of your own sort of uh, your own sort of principles. Um, was that three? Yeah, I think that's three. Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top things to do uh, for for an organisation. Um, anyone selling up a business should should enjoy the process. I think the moment, the moment you as an individual doubt yourself, you have one. Uh, so I think that sort of uh, your own well-being is hugely important, um, um, and and making sure that that, that well-being extends not just to your physical well-being but also to your, to your mental health. Have you ever had doubts yourself? Never. Never. It's bizarre, really, because yeah. I should. <laughs> you know, when COVID happened, uh, Andrew was brilliant. Um, you know, we talk about surrounding ourselves with excellent people. Mm -hmm. When COVID happened, I was a little bit sort of like, gosh, this could be interesting. And Andrew was very much about, okay, crisis management, we need to think about X, Y, Z, W, we need to think about what's going to happen. 
taking a geopolitical view about, of what's happening, taking a local view, a national view, a regional view, an international view, um, such as the extent of our, of our business activities. Um, and I think, you know, to say that I've never had a doubt might sound super obnoxious, and I don't mean it to sound super obnoxious at all. Did I think we could come into this market and achieve our positioning, uh, our market positioning, uh, after two and a half years of training? That absolutely not. I thought it would be a much longer route. Our, our route to success would be much quicker than I thought it would be. Okay. Uh, I think we would fail. No. Um, so I, I think because we got the foundation stones right, because we got the basis of the company right. Um, have we? Uh, has it been a challenge? Yeah. Um, but anybody who's starting a business, or indeed anybody who's running a business, it's a challenge. Every single day is a challenge. Uh, you know, without without a shadow of a doubt, every single day is a challenge. And sometimes those challenges come at, at you thick and fast. And at no point in time do you ever think, "I've got this." Yeah, I've got this. Every day is a different. Every day is a different thing. And I do remember back in two thousand and seven, just before I sort of finalised that I was going to sell my my group of company in the United Kingdom. And I remember going into the office and having nothing to do. It was a very strange feeling. And it was so well structured and we'd achieved everything that we pretty much wanted to achieve. And I remember I remember what that felt like. I didn't like it. And yeah. I, and I, I, I didn't like it. I wasn't needed. And I I've yet to get that feeling here at actuality.com. <laughs> um, I've yet to get that, you know, um, I, you know, we're a small little company and, 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 and we're not management heavy at all. Um, so you're, you're very, we're, as you know, we're very hands-on. Sleeves rolled up and we're very, very hands-on. Um, so, you know, I've never had, really had a, had a doubt. Um, I think, um, you know, I think I've sometimes had a, I probably need to get an around a golf and get away from the office, mm -hmm. um, but not not often um, and I, I think sometimes I've had that I wonder if I should just take the offer you know the, this large company that I'm talking about yeah. I, I do wonder if I should just yeah yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll you haven't finished what you want to do right you want that's to really per, that's really personal for me yeah. I think that's very uh, I genuinely believe I genuinely believe that we can become a digital jet destination the marketing of the world's finest homes. And I genuinely believe that companies far and wide will market their homes on our digital destination and pay us uh, digitally to, to, do, to do so with the leads being sent directly to them. And that that model will be an incredible success in, in the luxury space. I've got one more, haven't I? Yeah, one more, yeah. My, my fourth piece of advice would be um, be very conscious of the impact that, that uh, owning and running a business has on your, has on your family. Um, so my wife's very understanding, um, and my children know that you know that, that this is my third child in some respects. You know, um, but it's not a nine-to-five job. And sometimes that can that can you know I, that can be issues. You know, sometimes you. Uh, I've always tried to make sure that, that it's family first, second, third, then the business. And I'm really conscious that sometimes it might not be. Sometimes yeah. it's, you know, um, I'm late for supper because I just had to do that conference call or I'm late for I'm late for a sort of, you know, a family event.
because I've just flown in or I've just done something and I've learned mm -hmm. something. So, so I think, you know, it's uh, if you're setting up a new business, you, uh, your entire family have to, uh, to buy into yeah. it. Well, this business exists because of my wife. Okay. This business, luxuryproperty.com as a concept, as a brand, exists because of it was her who said. Her idea? It, it, not, not necessarily her idea, but it was her who said, "Run with that brand. Okay. Run with that brand because we have the option of propertynames.com, uh, which I still own, and which is very dear to me. And I'm like, I'm going to call it propertynames.com. And Andrew was like, No, we definitely want this just to be luxury. And and she's right, as she always is. Just in case you missed it, and she's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> <"What is this?" laughs> but thanks for that advice, Jason. I think everyone's going to find that really useful if they're, they're looking to start up a business. Um, going on to like the Dubai market, where do you, where do you think it's kind of headed at Ooh. the moment? That's a hand grenade. Um, first things first. The fundamentals of Dubai, yeah. zero crime, zero. My car is unlocked. I bet it's unlocked. Um, uh, I bet the house is unlocked. Um, I can't remember the last time I locked the office. The point that I'm making is we don't have crime in this incredible city. We've got 200 different nationalities living here harmoniously. Healthcare, world class, absolutely world class. Um, education, incredible. You know, uh, Jack and Molly were at Millfield School in the Somerset, one of the finest public school, private schools in England. And their schooling over here is, I don't want to upset Millfield, but it's, it's probably better, to be fair. Um, the infrastructure here um, is, is world class. Uh, the, uh, I, can, I can scuba dive in the morning, I can play golf in the afternoon, I can go to horse racing up in the evening, I can go to the to the opera house and 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 and, and have some culture if I wish. The, the lifestyle here is just incredible. If you take the best venues in the world and put them all in one place, you pretty much have Dubai. Fundamentals therefore of Dubai remain intact. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to live. Regrettably, we've gone through a period where there is a supply-demand matrix issue. We've got more real estate coming live into the market than possibly we have clients who want to buy it. And that's caused a little bit of a, a shift in, in real estate prices. And real estate prices since about 2014 have steadily been going the wrong way across the city. And at the moment, I feel they've been bouncing along the bottom now for probably about two years would be my view, where we haven't seen very steep drops, but nevertheless, we haven't seen much shoots of recovery. So for me, the medium, the short to medium term prognosis for the city is one of a period of, of reflection and, and, and a period of hopefully stabilization of, of prices. I think we're going to see prices down by about 10% over the next three years. I think that would mean that we would be probably one of the most attractive investment propositions anywhere on the planet in terms of yield return, quality of construction, and, and potential capital growth. And then as we come through this, this period of time, 
with the pandemic, we go into Expo 2020, straight 21. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we would see lots of new uh, branding. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to see Expo 2020 delayed by a year. So we're going to see uh, everything that we were hoping would come this, this October. And, and from there, we're going to see Dubai get back to, to, to slow and modest recovery. What we don't want is we don't want boom and bust. So we, 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 we don't want house prices just roaring away um, and then sort of crashing sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, three years later or four years later, however long through the cycle. In terms of, in answer to your question, what's happening with the market? market's busy. Very, very busy, as you know. Lots of buyers coming in. I can't quite remember when I got an offer at asking price. <laughs> That's the point, isn't yeah. it? You know, I don't, I can't, well, I don't think I've had an offer post-pandemic. Can we call it post-pandemic? I think we're still within the pandemic. Are we yeah. post-lockdown? Yeah, post post-lockdown. So I have another PL. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, post-lockdown, I don't think I've had a full asking price offer, and that's an issue. That's a huge issue. Um, I think we have buyers who recognise opportunities in the market, who see value propositions, and who are bidding accordingly. And we have vendors, sellers, who feel they need to take an exit because they've been, you know, they've lost their job or their or, or circumstances have changed. And that is means that we're incredibly busy, um, but the market is, it, it, it is transacting at significantly lower levels. When that data comes out, it's not going to make for pretty reading. So when the data comes out, which will be one month or two months after the transfers, it's not, it's not going to make for pretty, for pretty reading. However, distressed stock is an analysis that one needs to, to, to be very cognizant of. So if you have 100 properties on the market, for example, only 10 of those properties would be distressed. So once the distressed stock is gone, that basically means you go to, there's going to be a resumption of normalness. Um, now the new normal, that's that horrible phrase that everyone keeps hammering about. But, uh, I think the market's going to do better than we might think, actually, and I think we're just going to see a stabilisation. So if I had to give a prognosis, I would probably say prices are going to pretty much stay exactly where they are. I don't think we're going to have steep declines. And I think it's about confidence in, in the market, and, and, and that's really key. You, you were talking, obviously, about long-term. You don't want the boom and bust cycle. If you, if you could put one kind of policy in, that would be something that could boost the, the demand or improve the, the market and the, the prices in the market, not you know, artificially to inflate the prices, but something that would work long-term that you think is missing here in Dubai, what would it be? It's not for me to criticise the government, and I'm not doing that, but I would, li I would genuinely like to see more attractive immigration protocols for Dubai. Mm -hmm. If I, I own this company, and all of uh, all of our investments in 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 the city, but I still have to renew my visa every two years, and I can't have that sense of Dubai as being home because, of course, it's only going to be home for a period of time. And I sometimes think that I've quite much seen American protocol or an American system. So in the United States, I acquired a what's called an EB five visa 
where I bought an office building in Seattle, to start with. Um, I bought an office building in Seattle, and that gave me residency rights in the United States and in Fidelity. So I was a green card holder, as was my wife and children, and we were residents of the United States for however long we want to be residents for, uh, and pay a huge tax as consequence of my land. Um, and what I'd like to see in Dubai is more of a of that long-term residency approach. The two years, the five years, the ten years, that's great, but I don't think it gives us that um, that sense of longevity that I think one needs when when they're investing such significant sums of money into into the area. And for me. We came here specifically because we love the city, we love the Emirates, we love everything that else it has to offer. But it was a huge decision and a huge risk, and we were very conscious that we were only residents for two years and then at, at renewal. In some respects, that has tempered my investments into the city. So in some respects, it has sort of tempered them a little bit because we're conscious that, that we're, we're not here as permanent residents and I think that's the point that we would make and for me if the United Arab Emirates wants to achieve what it what it's looking to achieve um, I wonder if that's something that I would be I would be recommending mm -hmm. that you have the right person of course you have to have the right credentials of course I get that but that permanent residency status uh, be it acquired or indeed on a point system uh, I think I think would be would be incredible for this country and it would then create a significantly greater levels of confidence and it would remove the transiency that that I think damages damages the city and, and uh, you know you, you people rent not buy sometimes because they're not quite sure how long they're going to be so that comes with the pricing yeah so they're worried oh, if I have to leave in two years with the volatility maybe yeah better to rent and, and I think that's something that I probably, I, I, I probably, you know, re recommend. Mm -hmm. that probably be something that needs to be structured very well. Yeah, and it has to be right. Um, but it would then create legacy then. So you would have, you know, Jack, my son, would then would be looking at the businesses. Okay, I'm going to go off to university and, and have fun and everything else, and then I'll come back and take over the family business because that's what happens everywhere else in the world. But over here, we don't seem to have that quite quite so much. Yeah, well, of course, if you say you lost your job, like situation for a lot of people at the moment, then you have you have to leave. You don't yeah. have the option yeah. to, to stay. I think yeah, the population hasn't been growing yeah. as quickly as it was before. We were talking about the supply previously, so in order to make the demand catch up with that supply, yeah. you need to. There's obviously other factors like in, increasing commerce, promoting. Businesses, like you said, with giving easier business licenses and all that kind yeah. of stuff, and I think that will only help to, to improve the market by increasing the demand of the population. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's a big thing, you know. I think inward migration mm -hmm. into the UAE is, is, is huge, and how they structure that and get that right, that's, that's the big thing. Okay, Jason, um, I'm, I'm wary of the time on the podcast. I think we might have to do a, a part two of this one because I've got a lot more questions to ask. Um, but thank you so much for, for coming in. Yep, and yeah, I think we'll have to do a part two, definitely. Thanks for, for watching and or listening if you're listening on the podcast. And I'll see you on the next episode of Realtor Talk.
Buah, <laughs>